King, otherwise known as Dr. Amy, and this podcast is The Most Important Medicine. If you're a healthcare professional, this podcast is for you. This is where we learn about trauma-informed medicine and ways to build resilience in healthcare organizations. And we do this through stories, the stories of yours and other professionals. We listen to each other to transform medicine with compassion and curiosity about what it means to be a trauma-informed practice or professional. Every time you join me, I want you to hear practical information and leave with tangible tools that you can use with patients right away. Today, friends, I'm really excited to be joined by Dr. Susan Davis. Um, Susan is a dedica has dedicated her career to promoting excellence in life-saving resuscitation practices, drawing from her extensive experience at the American Heart Association, U.S. hospitals, and rescue programs. Through her work, she and her team have trained over 50,000 healthcare professionals in basic, advanced, and pediatric resuscitation response, improving Code Blue team performance. <clears throat> Dr. Davis is the creator of Code Prep, a program that provides rapid and efficient Code Blue training for individual nurses, healthcare, and long-term care facilities aimed at enhancing nurse-empowered resuscitation performance. Her goal is to create a national network of high-performance resuscitation hospitals that offer continuous Code Blue team training, encouraging and empowering bedside teams to respond with utmost confidence and proficiency. Welcome, Susan. Thank you, Amy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to have you. My listeners will notice right away that I have a little bit of a cold. And as Susan and I were talking about before, the show must go on um, because this is important and valuable information that I want to get out to people. Um, so I'll, I'll, everyone can just pardon my, my, my voice, but we just read your professional bio, Susan. Tell people a little bit more about who you are and what you're doing in the world right now. So I think my primary job is mom. I am a mom. I have three kids and well, I guess they're probably not kids anymore. They're young adults. They're all in their twenties. So that's been my main job for 20 plus years. Meanwhile, I went back to school uh, to, while I was raising them to become a nurse and then went through all of that education, but I'm a daughter. I hang out with my mom a lot. My mom is 83 years old and she is my bestie to the best, best. She is my advisor in all things be it personal, professional, weather, and or how do you get whites the whitest. Um, she still sews on anything that rips and or tears. Otherwise, I would just get rid of it. And then I am a Florida gal. I'm actually from Chicago originally, but I've been in Florida for 30 plus years. And I extremely uh, love Southwest Florida where I live. I live on the water. And um I like to uh, lots of times get in my boat and go quite quickly off the rock out into the water and uh, get get some wind in my hair. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. That's amazing. And I love the the testimony about your mom. Goodness. Um, can we send all repairs her way, all clothing? Repairs <laughs> repairs? I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I for sure. If, anything that needs to be cleaned and or repaired goes straight to mom. So Susan, you have a... a incredible passion around code prep work um, and resuscitation. Can you just tell our listeners how you got interested in this and why it's a passion of yours? Yeah, you know, again, this is one of those things you hear about the stories where the passion found you. You know, this this is a, a calling that found me. I had no idea. I had no idea I was going to become a nurse um, in the first place. And 
with a background in animal medicine, frankly, the emergency room was the only thing in nursing that, well, it suited me right away, not the only thing, but what I was drawn to, I was drawn to emergency care, trauma work. And while I was raising my children and being a trauma nurse and going back to school, you know, one of the most heightened sense of awareness is when a patient comes in at a cardiac arrest or unexplainably goes into a cardiac arrest. And back then, years and years ago, we would also respond to the inpatient environment. So people think of cardiac arrest, and they often think of the emergency room or the ICU, but the inpatient population is, is, is really where the majority of our patients are. And it's considered low, uh, low, high risk, low frequency. So it's not, they aren't thinking the way ER and ICU nurses are thinking. They're, they're, there was a lot more going on. They have a lot more patients to take care of. And we would show up to these code blues and, and it was, you know, the scene on arrival was kind of a hot mess. And I was, came to nursing later in life. I thought, well, gosh, I, I don't know. It was hard for me to believe that it was such a hot mess. I would think it would be a well-oiled machine. Like we do this all the time, like we do in the emergency room. And in fact, they don't. And it struck me. And I thought, well, let me take a deeper look into this. And how are we training for this? And is it adequate? And lo and behold, in my opinion, not so much. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you spend any time thinking about cardiac arrest, you now know that over 80% of them happen at home. 80% of cardiac arrest happen in your home. And then just, you know, a small percentage of them happen at the hospital. But are we ready? Are you ready? I mean, I, I started asking myself, you go back to your younger days when you were a mom and you worried about the choking or you worried about you know, your parents having a cardiac arrest and we think, oh, don't worry about it. I had BLS back in, you know, back in the day that is not prepared. And so I started looking at this bigger picture and we're not ready and we're scared and it doesn't matter. Cardiac arrest doesn't care where you are, who you are, where you work and if you're prepared or not, mm -hmm. but we truthfully, no matter where they are, have very few minutes to keep them on this earth. If that's where they're going to stay. So when you're talking about, you know, there's folks that are just geared up for that emergency triage, right, that we think about traditionally, but you're talking or thinking about the nurse who's on an inpatient ward that isn't necessarily seeing like urgency all the time and all of a sudden someone codes. Yeah, well, and, and frankly... It's ter it can be terrible. And what I noticed my, my take home from when it was, this was first starting to simmer on my, I was started really starting simmering on this. I watched them not standing tall, leaving those scenarios, whether the patient made it to the ICU and, or did not make it the slump shoulders, the, the down energy, the fear, the, the, the emotion attached to being part witnessing a cardiac arrest as a trained professional, we know that it might happen. It was overwhelming to me. And then I started thinking about that trickle down effect and the ripple effect. Now, how does that nurse go home if she felt like she didn't do or he the best that they could? Should I, shouldn't I, you know, or, or I wouldn't dare get in the way because I, I just don't do it very often. So we hesitate. Mm -hmm. Those emotions talk about trauma, you know, right. those emotions, then we bury them down and go home and, and you know, serve dinner to our family and, and go home to our partner. And as if this didn't happen. And it's not just once. So, and it could be new nurses, Amy. We right now, especially after the pandemic, it was pre-pandemic, but we lost a ton of nurses and there's so many new nurses. So frankly, it doesn't matter where you work in the hospital, ER, ICU, if they're not prepared because they're new and they haven't seen it, 
that, that, you know, fight, flight, or fear response is very, very real. And if yeah. you don't do hands-on brief repetitive practice all the time, well, you can guarantee you're going to have a problem if it happens to you. So what I hear from you is that this is a preventable trauma for that nurse, mm. that if they are well-prepared, have that increased proficiency and competency, then they're not slumped shoulders, feeling horrible, taking that home They're They've been well-prepared and regardless of the outcome, they know they've done the very best that they could to support that patient. You just gave me goosebumps. I mean, that's the core of it. You know, I, I joke and it's not even a joke, but I didn't create it for the outcome of the patient. Mm-hmm. I literally created the program for the self-efficacy. Literally mm-hmm. my, my doctoral, it's a long title, but it was unit-based resuscitation drills for nurse and interprofessional self-efficacy. How, how does, how does being prepared make them feel? Absolutely. I'm t- it's an easy answer. Gosh, give them hands on brief repetitive practice and they stand tall. They run to it. They run to the problem. And, and, you know, I I've gotten rid of all of the textbooks and all of the algorithms and all the things that I think is another thing, uh, hierarchy, the hierarchy in the hospital, only doctors will resuscitate and only the critical care people can do this. And I'm just a, you know, medical surgical nurse or there's no, I just, you know, it's basic life support. It's the first two to six minutes, which anyone can do anyone. If a 10 year old child can grab an AED in the airport, mm-hmm. push the button and do some chest compressions, we, we should as well and feel supported and empowered to do so. Well, and I think from the patient perspective, Susan, right? Like what you're describing is like nurses or other healthcare professionals who are backing away saying, I don't know how to do this. I don't do it very much. We'll wait for the team to get the, to get here. And from a patient perspective, that's terrifying that there's not someone there and ready. Well, it's, it's an awkward perception too. It's not like I want to spread, spread this, uh, spread the word. Guys, guess what? You know, we're all nurses and we're not prepared. We are, we are prepared. We've had the education. It's just, it's an age old way to prepare where you, we, we renew in a classroom in a land far, far away from where the magic hits the fan once every two years. Right. And then you go to work. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't happen for two months, six months, in my original research, it was uh, 86% of participants had never, ever handled their emergency equipment. Wow. It was, it was over 50% had never participated in a, in a cardiac arrest. 46% had never even seen one. So how's code prep different? How is it preparing professionals differently? So I also have my medic license. And when I really started to look at the, the big picture, hospitals do mock codes, um, you know, simulations, uh, they do, um, how often do they do it? So I, I actually searched the world. What are people doing? Where are they doing it? How often are they doing it? How much are they spending on it? And, and what gives? Like, where's, where's the gap? And the gap is it's not standardized. It's not nearly frequent enough. So what I did was I read them all, studied them all, and then I cut out anything and everything. You know, people don't read anymore, really. <laughs> and they want to be, they want to learn via pictographs. So I took out all the extra words and I'm like, listen, guys, this is literally step one, step two, step three. That's it. It's two to six minutes. So what I did was I created a program that cut out anything and everything that we didn't need. A lot of the barriers in the way of thinking like, gosh, I don't study cardiac rhythms and I'm not critical care. And I can, you know, that machine is going to shock. I can't do it. I make it. It's literally meat and potatoes and it's very simple. I didn't recreate anything. I just got rid of everything. I didn't think we needed and then we repeat it literally two to six minutes is what I'm asking for. And we do it ongoing. So it's, it's, I always say, you know, this is not cake baking class guys. I mean, someone's dying. 
you have to be good at this. And then we have an, a, a duty to ourselves, mm-hmm. not only to, to live up to our license and practice at the top mm-hmm. of our license, but to ourselves as a human being Yes, that is a family member and a community member and a church member. And, you know, we owe it to ourselves and we owe it to our community to, to feel good about this. And so we walk tall when we leave a scene, that's Mm -hmm. maybe not such a good outcome. I love that you just like, basically you're like, I removed all the crud and Mm -hmm. very digestible and accessible for folks. It's two to six minutes. How often? So there's lots of debate on this out in the world. There is never, I could say never often enough. If it's literally, if you're going to spend two minutes, my recommendation is that they spend one whole week, that the training crash cart no longer goes into the uh, closet any longer. So it just continuously rotates through the, through the campuses. So it would stay on one unit for a week. Everyone on that unit would be required to do their two to six minutes, which is rescue one, two, and three, Mm -hmm. um, once per shift for that entire week. And then would rotate to the next, you know, two East two West. And then, and so on and so forth. And then about every six weeks, I say no more than every six weeks, but once a month, yeah, I would recommend once a month at, at honestly, at a minimum, most mock code programs, you know, they're long, they're much longer in duration. There's a lot more prelim learning. And then it's often in the SIM lab. It's often on equipment that they don't use. That's mm-hmm. another thing that I do. It's their equipment in their unit with their team. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's gotta be the stuff you're going to use. So for me, two things as like a researcher and practitioner come up, one is time exchange and the other one is ROI, right? So you're asking teams for two to six minutes each shift, right? To just practice repetitively with their tools, their team. That time exchange is like a drop in the bucket for other things we might be doing that waste healthcare professionals' times, right? Um, Two to three minutes, I can scroll through, you know, social media on a break, or I can do something really practical like this. And the ROI is life-saving for the patient and a preventable trauma for the healthcare professional. I mean, that's incredible. Preventable trauma is huge. And think about the trauma that our nurses on a daily basis are experiencing, regardless of a cardiac arrest. The worst, nurses on the way into work literally pray that this does not happen to them. It is one of the largest fears. Cardiac, your patient has a cardiac arrest and you're not sure what to do. They, I mean, it's it's in your gut every single shift, every single patient. Yeah. It, it, so to to hand them this this easily to me, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a gimme. It's a no brainer. Tell me a story of a healthcare professional that you've worked with that didn't have this training and then did, and how it changed their trajectory. So. I can tell you about a patient we had, I was training in the PICU. So we also do pediatric, does it again, cardiac arrest knows no boundaries. So there isn't a healthcare specialty or frankly, an organization where you work or even your living room that this doesn't count. So I was happened to be in the PICU and we were training. There were three nurses that came to me and said, listen, we, we are uncertain. We are very uncomfortable. Can we do some drills? Absolutely. Come on in. So we do, we started our code prep drills. And they were horrible. <laughs> they were horrible. They were just, they were fumbling. They were nervous. They let's do it again. Let's do it again. And, and the beauty of this is once that first round gets over with, then they want more because they can see like, oh my gosh, I'm really making too much of this. It's, I'm, it's not as much as it is. So anyway, they practiced again and again and again. Thank you so much. See ya. They, lo and behold, the following morning, I got a call from the PICU and they said, we had a pediatric cardiac arrest last night. 
I said, no, shoot, how'd it go? Give me, give me the story. And they said, well, you're not gonna believe who ended up being rescuer one, two, and three. The same three gals, the same three nurses. They had a code in the middle of the night. The code call went out to the physician on call and there was a delay for whatever reason. There was a delay to the sleep room for the physician. They ran that code for 12 minutes by themselves and resuscitated the baby. And everything was, I mean, that was it. So I was like, okay, so what what did we learn? A little bit of brief hands-on repetitive practice. Um, So that that was a great story. Um, Baby Savannah, baby Savannah lived. Um, we had another story just recently where there was a, a whole different campus. This was an adult medical um, unit and a patient was discharged and there was a transporter taking the patient wait to the, to, down to go, right? The husband was waiting downstairs in the car. Patient has the patient, um, transporter has the patient in a wheelchair. He's waiting at the elevator. So the elevator doors open and a patient care tech was coming off of the elevator. She took one look at the gal in the wheelchair that was being discharged and said, "You, she, we have a color-coded score. So green, yellow, red, and, and she was a red, meaning not look good. We, and it's, just, it's an instinctual green, yellow, red. We don't get carried away. I also teach that. So she said to the transporter, this patient's a red, you need to take her back. And he said, no, she's discharged. She's going home. And she said, wow. you need to take her back. She's a red. So these are now a patient care tech and a transporter arguing. So the gal one, they turned around, went back to the unit. As soon as they got on the unit, that patient coded. The team had just done their drills or had been recently doing their drills. They got the equipment to her, got the pads on, used the equipment, and they shocked not once, but twice before the critical care outreach team arrived and revived that patient. Patient went to the ICU. That would have happened in the car with her husband. Yes. I mean, we were just moments away. So goosebumps because, you know, at the end of the day, Susan, I feel like when we share stories, it's how we transform medicine and how we heal. And I feel like this is somebody's baby. This is somebody's wife, right? And these are critical minutes that you're buying back for these healthcare professionals. Critical minutes. It's, it's two to six. That's all we have. People don't realize when you're in your living room, the, 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 the national average time for a rapid response team in a hospital to arrive to the scene is 4.3 to 4.5 minutes, four and a half minutes. It could be 30 seconds, but the average. And people don't realize that it could be a second code or a third code. So every single minute counts. But we're supposed to be having um, excellent compressions in the progress by one minute and use your electricity within two. Mm -hmm. So when you're in your living room, the time for EMS to arrive, depending on where you live, is about nine minutes. So they stretch that electric time to about three minutes. So one minute to compressions and three minutes, but every single second is, is loss of our human, loss of their brain capacity, loss of them to wake up. I mean, we can save a lot of people, but if we can't save their brains at the same time, and people don't, oftentimes, Amy, people think about compressions is about saving the heart, and it is. But it's more about saving the brains. Saving the heart is cool. That might get you a ticket to the ICU. But saving the brains is cooler. That gets you a ticket home. Yes. And if you don't do jam up compressions, not, oh gosh, I'm scared. I'm not sure what I'm doing right. I'm just talking compressions and electricity. Those are the only two things that are proven to actually save a life. All the rest of the stuff that they're worried about, the critical care stuff, the drugs, the, the rhythms, and what is it saying? They don't have to know any of that. The machine knows. 
They, people just have to, out in the world, we're talking about bystander CPR, bystander. I hate that word. I don't want people standing by. I want people standing ready. Agreed. You need to be ready. Performance, I, I, you know, this high performance thing is really, it's transforming right now in my mind because I've, I've been always thinking of this high performance, you know, nursing, healthcare, people who work like a, you know, pit crew style drill and they just got this. <laughs> well, since I've been working on this now, I realize that again, it's got to be the same thing. You not only do you have to have hands on the chest in your living room or wherever you work, much less the hospital, but performance means practice and high performance means commitment mm-hmm. to more practice. Yeah. So does anyone not qualify for any of those three levels? Absolutely not. That doesn't matter where you are. Mm-hmm. So that's what's happening to me. I'm, I'm now in, in, you know, I've been pushing for healthcare and whatnot. And frankly, people, people in the community, they seem to get it much easier and much better. They're scared every day and they need to be connected. They want to feel connected to people who get it and, and be taught to feel better. If you're in a hospital there's, a, there's kind of this ease of thinking, oh, somebody else can do this. Somebody else will be here soon, right? Like I'm, if I'm going to have a cardiac arrest, I want to be in the hospital because somebody's going to be there. But you're saying, no, let's shift that mentality. Every single person should be ready. We shouldn't be waiting on a team to come in and intervene who can do it better, faster, or has practiced more often. If, if all it takes is two to six minutes to be practicing this, we have a lot of preventable trauma and loss. A for lot. entire teams of people. Well, for entire families, mm-hmm. entire families, entire everyone. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I, really neat things have come my way just recently. The more I keep talking about this, it's it's the power of the internet is amazing. Some of the really cool people doing really neat things in resuscitation have reached out. I just started to, to um, move outside of the hospital and we're doing, we're working on a, what's called a heart safe community mm-hmm. and the CPR Citizens Foundation um, they will help you as a, as an institution, as a city or as a county. And we've just had our inaugural meetings and I have, I have a five county wide initiative getting started right now. I, I am so excited about this, Amy, because it's everybody. It's the hospital. I'm representing the hospital. Uh, we have the EMS. We have all the colleges, K through 12, mm-hmm. um, adult continuing education, law enforcement and our entire business district for five counties in the, in the state of Florida are coming together. So frankly, if you're planning on coming to Florida, you're not going to walk into the grocery or come across our border without doing your two minutes. And we're, we're creating, you know, it's one thing for it to be in healthcare. That's the certification. And I think that's a barrier. Everyone, if you don't aren't certified, then, then maybe you can't do it. We're saying heck with that. We're saying two minutes on anything on a, on a two liter soda bottle, you know, if we can show you how to do it right, you need to be ready, whether you're at home. I mean, the, the American Heart Association created a course called Friends and Family because you're likely to be around your friends and family if you tank. Mm-hmm. Now, what so, is it called again? Heart-centered communities? It's called Heart Safe. Heart so safe. it's a, yeah, it's super cool. So it's going to be a designation that we get. Love it. Um, and we have to have a commitment that 15% of your population have to have hands on the chest one way or another, no certifications, no, no, no fancy stuff. Just, this is how you do it. Push hard, push fast, call 911. And then if you can't have it, if there's not an AED nearby, what are you going to do? You're going to call 911 and push hard and fast and everybody and any compression is better than no compression. So standing by is uncool. Standing ready is what we're after. I feel like we need to create a movement, Susan, where it's Mm -hmm. like, 
I don't want to go to a hospital that hasn't had this training. I don't want to be part of a community that hasn't done this. It's not a heart safe community. I want to know that regardless of what healthcare facility I walk into or long-term care facility, that there's someone there who can help save my life or somebody's life that I love. You're not even kidding. I was talking to a gal yesterday. She's like, I'm going to bring this to my PTO. They're, they're not going to be happy. My, my school, my kids, I'm a, you're going to want your kid's school to be involved with this. What if, talk about, what if their teacher drops in front of them? Think about the trauma on those babies going to go home after seeing cardiac arrest is not pretty. It's scary as all get out. People change all kinds of crazy colors. <laughs> a body is dying. It's traumatic. And the try and the try to save them is traumatic, but we have to, you know, that whole feet don't fail me now. Hands don't fail me now. We, we don't have that option. We have to, and, and you know, the children, they, they have less in the way than we do on why we shouldn't do it. So if we empower them to do it, they love it. I'll tell you another really cool thing on this. They're not worried about mission. liability, Susan. <laughs> no, they're not. Well, you know, we have a lot of things that protect us, by the way. You know, there are a lot of there's a lot of things that protect us as, as just community members, citizens, CPR ready citizens, if you will, CPR ready citizens, CPR ready organizations, and CPR ready hospitals. There isn't anybody who doesn't qualify. If you have a heart, you qualify, Amy. So here's a cool thing. Um, there's a gal in the UK, she works with K through 12 and they do, it's like an East, a continuous Easter egg hunt for the kids. You, when you're out and about with your family, wherever you go, you have them search for AEDs and they can take a picture of the AED and upload it and their school. And then we, it goes into our registry and the school gets credit for the number of AEDs that your kids are finding. So it is, it is, this is a, this is a movement. If you have not done your two minutes of CPR, and I'm working with a really cool company right now that's coming in to help me on this. I'm looking at a collaboration. They've got some amazing technology right now. Uh, wearable tech as a watch, but you could also get it through your phone. Where what we're going to have them do for those two minutes, the first minute we're going to put it on incognito. So they're just going to go and do it so that you now know what is your skill today. And then the second minute, we're going to let it coach you the mm -hmm. rate, the depth. And so you'll be able to get in, in two minutes. Where was I? And where do I need to be? Mm -hmm. And then you would be now um, captured in that registry. So when we start to train larger groups of people in your community, whether it's every sporting event, whether it's, you can do bus stop CPR, you could set up six, <laughs> six little salad bowls upside down and do six people at a time waiting on the bus stop. So basically there should not be anyone in your community that doesn't get their two minutes in then, then they would find out where we're doing the next one. And then we would recruit them to help us recruit you for your church, recruit you for whatever you're already doing with your family. Every soccer game, there should be a setup of six to 12 salad bowls. Right. And let's do some compressions. We never want to hear again. This is what I'm hearing you say. Is there a doctor in the house? Never. Somebody else can respond to that and not be a bystander, but be ready. Yep. You're, you know, I don't ever want to see on the TV news, a giant crowd of people around one person trying to save someone's life. I mean, standing by is not cool. Yep. Yep. So if I'm a, a nurse, a healthcare professional of any type, or even just a lay person, um, and I'm listening to this, I'm hearing you say some pretty creative things about even if my organization hasn't, you know, bought code prep or become a, a heart safe community, I can practice every day. I can practice every week my compressions. Yep. What's All the time. What's something fact, that I have at home right now, Susan, if I'm, whether I'm a healthcare professional or not, that I can practice on. 
So there's a million micro learnings that the American Heart puts out. You can Google um, just hands-only CPR from American Heart and also from the American Red Cross. And you can, if you watch them, they're short, they're brief, and you can really, you can use a pillow. You can use a book. You can use a two liter soda bottle. You can use a, a rubber salad bowl upside down. You know, it's just a matter of how, you know, getting on there, feeling the pressure and how fast and how deep can I go? And every compression is better than no compression. So it's just, and it's recognizing the problem, call for help, begin compressions, and then use your electricity if it's nearby. And that's the other thing, Amy, people, people don't, you know, we talk about AEDs. Most people don't even know what they are. I mean, it's an automated external defibrillator. When the heart is dying, it's fibrillating. Wooga, 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 wooga. It's no longer going love dub, love dub, love dub. And we need electricity to snap some sense back into it. So, I mean, and that's, you know, again, hands-on compressions is the number one best thing. If there's an AED around, it's, it's really easy. You open it up, you turn it on, you push the button and that's it. Put the pads on, push the button. That's how easy it is. Anyone can do it. So let's just say you live in an area where you have a gated community. Do you know where your AED is? Mm-hmm. Where is it? It's usually by the pool. I always say, if Sally lives closest to the pool, you should be friends with Sally. <laughs> <laughs> because she's got two minutes to get it to you. So create a neighborhood watch for where's the closest AED and, and set up your phones where whoever is closest to the AED. So there should not be, we're saying like, I started this for our local community and then it went to five counties. Well, there's 67 counties in the state of Florida. So that's, that's, I'm like, literally, you're not going to come across our border because mm-hmm. you, you cannot come in our state <laughs> if you are not dedicated to saving someone's life. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the kind of, that's the kind of mission that I'm on now. I started with nurses feeling comfortable in their own skin for these skills so that they go home feeling comfortable in their family, in their home, in their community. And now I realized the mission is exactly the same for everybody, everybody. Yeah. And so, you know, there's, there's going to be tons of information. If there's so many people coming in to do this there, and there are, are already places all around our country that are heart safe communities already. Um, it's new for us here. There's one city in the state of Florida, one city, so we're bringing on five counties. But anyway, there will be precedent for anyone who wants more information. I'm actually, I will start coaching with them just because I'm very passionate about this. And so there'll be tons of places for resources for people who want to know more. Mm-hmm. Right now, as you're talking about not just nurse competency and professional competency, but everybody in the community, and I'm just hearing the passion in your voice about just practicing today. I know that somebody right now is listening and they're going to find their salad bowl tonight and they're mm-hmm. going to do compressions. And it makes me almost tearful, Susan, like that's life that you just saved. It's incredible the type of systemic change that can happen because of one person's passionate presence in that starts with a seed of like increasing competency and grows into you know what? Everybody can do this. You know, you gave me goosebumps again. That's probably my third set during our conversation. And you know, it's so funny. I've been on such a mission for so long that I appreciate you saying that because I, I don't, I, I lose track of that. I just keep going. I keep going. And when it, it's a, it's a big project, but it's not guys, less is more two minutes. It's, it's literally two minutes. And frankly, I think people should realize, I, I feel like there's so much conversation there's words that we use that come become trendy and then they're overheard. And I think cardiac arrest and CPR, the, the words are so old. I don't know if it means anything to anybody anymore. 
Mm -hmm. until it really happens to you. Right. And then this is where your world comes in. And once tragedy happens to you, well, the ripple effect of that is a lifetime as well. Mm -hmm. And if people can stay, if they're going to stay those first two to six minutes is when it happens. Mm -hmm. So we can do it and you can do it. And and your kids can do, you'd be so surprised how resilient kids, kids jump into this and they love it. I taught I taught just maybe a couple of weekends ago. No, it was like three weeks ago. I got invited to a summer camp. They were middle schoolers and we went to summer camp and it was hands-only CPR. And then they wanted to know the difference between cardiac arrest and a heart attack. Most people mm-hmm. don't know the difference. And these, you know, middle schoolers, how old are you when you're in middle school? My kids are so old now. What is that? 12, 12 13, 12, 13 year old. And they're just wide eyed and listened. And I promise you every single one of them them went home with, with the ability to tell the difference. And they asked him now your job tonight, your homework is to go home and teach your family what you learned. So yeah. they all went home and taught compressions and talked about the difference between cardiac arrest and a heart attack Two 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 big differences, but they got it. So kids are super great learners. Well, and you know, the, the mission of this podcast being the most important medicine, responding to trauma and creating resilience and what that's what you're doing. You're creating resilient folks by saying you have more competency and more tools at the ready than you realize if you have a heart, right, then you can learn this. And if you have hands, you can provide the compressions to save somebody else's life. Um, And that's a pretty incredible gift, Susan. And well, and I think about like the, the trauma, not just on the part of healthcare professionals who don't feel like they have to stand back anymore and wait for the critical care team to get there. But the trauma of the families who may have experienced loss otherwise and the ripple effects of that. I agree. And honestly, you know, uh, whether you're a healthcare professional or a school teacher, if you, if you know, you've got this, it, 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 it is a sense of courage that comes in, you know, it comes into your sense of everything. If you know, you can handle cardiac arrest, you know, there's, there's all kinds of things that we can do that we're not aware of, but this one's that this one is, Fast and furious, and it's really not okay. No, but it's worse not okay if we don't act. And I'm just going to make a quick uh, little, maybe political comment, but I don't really care. It's my podcast. Um, <laughs> I know there's a lot of teachers that listen to this, and I know y'all are doing active shooter drills. And the likelihood that you, somebody's going to bring a gun to your campus, I know, is terrifying. But the likelihood that somebody's going to have a heart attack, your janitor, a dad at a conference, a mom at a basketball game, a child on in the gymnasium or one of your own students is much higher than that. And Isn't if you're it? ready for that, like we practice active shooter drills and earthquake drills and the likelihood of that actually happening, despite the news, is pretty low. But the likelihood that somebody has cardiac arrest in your presence is pretty high. And so this to me is like readying the population to say we're one way to be trauma informed is to be trained in what this looks Mm. like and know what to do and be able to act appropriately to prevent the fallout effect of not knowing. So I I just want to pitch that like when you mentioned educators, I just feel like, you know, we're talking about there. I agree. And I, you're, that's, you're right on with that. And think how many educators there are in our country. There's 400,000 cardiac arrests a year and it does not discriminate. And it it loves gymnasiums. (laughs) It loves gymnasium, gymnasiums and soccer fields. 
yeah. football fields and so on and so forth. So I agree with you being, being ready and, and agreeing to the training and commit. That's the, that's what I love about performance. I started realizing Amy that I kept using this terminology, high performance. And in my mind, I'm thinking of like, you know, like Under Armour and, you know, Peloton and high performance. I thought, you know what? High performance, that's way too sexy. You know what high performance is? Commitment. It's, it's just a commitment to ongoing practice. Performance is practice and high performance is just a commitment to ongoing practice. So you should not only do your two minutes with your family, you need to run the drill and I can help you guys run the drills. I can create the drills. It'll be on this app, by the way, that we're putting together right now for the, for the citizen, it'll be the two minutes. How do you do your two minutes? And then how do you do a drill in your family, in your living room, in your home? What's the drill? Who are we going to call? Then we're not scared of it. Because now we're now we're relying on every other drill we've ever run. We run for a reason. And that is so that when the moment comes, we're not scared. We have muscle memory that's helping us out. Even though emotionally we're terrified, we have the practice of having done something. That's why it works. And it's, it is terrifying. So if we can um, mitigate any of that terror and get action, and it doesn't, the same thing at your business. If you haven't done a code drill at your place of business, where's the, where's the AED there? What's the plan besides everyone huddle around and, you know, you know, call 911. It, what's the drill? So again, you have a heart, you qualify. It does not. I mean, I, I am, I am so thrilled at this heart safe community initiative. I can't even explain to you that it's uplifting. And here's the, here's the unintended consequence connection, serious collaboration. The only way we can fail is by failure, failing to collaborate. Oh, love that. Yeah. I mean, because right, right now, I, look at me, I've got, I've got the whole hospital, every school, the law enforcement, the emergency medical services, yeah. they're all on board. So now, you know, when we are all doing this, but what part of the Heart Safe Community Initiative is, we dump everything we're all doing individually on the table. And then let's see what we're doing. There's all kinds of cool initiatives that we don't know each other are doing, and they're all experts in their field, but now we're at the same table. Every community has the bomb.com already, but we are now collaborating. And now we're saying in a time like we are in right now, where the digital world is going crazy, where everything's going crazy, our communities desire, need, and have to have connection to us. Yes. Yes. And so that's that's the beautiful thing as well. It's it's connection. It's not digital. This is this is hands on the chest. This is real connection. Mm -hmm. I could go on and on. I mean, I, I, I know that all of our listeners are hearing the passion and purpose in this. Um, let me wrap us up by just asking you a couple of rapid fire questions. Okay. Um, what's one thing people get wrong about your work? It takes a doctor to do this. It takes a lot of education to do this. Uh, it, that's no way wrong. Awesome. Um, if you could go back and talk to young Susan, what would you tell her? I would tell her to get started much sooner. There's so much more people and there's so much more to do. I'm on a runway now. And if I would have started this earlier, you'd already be doing it and I would already be doing it. So uh, young Susan would have instead of travel around the world and picked 40 different specialties that she studied in 80 different degrees. She would have zeroed in sooner seen and met this need perhaps and uh, been able to get the world out because this is a global situation amy if, if here we are complaining and not getting it right and we have every advantage that this world knows in our country and there's countries around the world that they might have one defibrillator that's 30 years old in the entire hospital so 
I would start, I would have started sooner. Yeah. Um, often in healthcare, we get intimidated by professionals. Um, will you share one thing about you that makes you just perfectly imperfect as a human being? Perfectly imperfect. I am too much, too loud, to me, almost everywhere I go. I, I sometimes because I'm so much, I'm, I can be intimidating and I, it's like the last thing I want to be, but, uh, the imperfect me is three weeks and three words ahead of anyone and everybody. So I often go right over in like a bulldozer under everything and everybody because I'm so passionate. So I have to learn to put on the brakes and tone it down just a little bit so that because if they're not getting my message, then how what good am I anyway? Oh my gosh. But thank goodness at the same time. Okay. Last question. It's 11 o'clock at night and you have a food craving. What do you reach for? Dark chocolate. <laughs> Dark chocolate Dunsey. If it has peanut butter nearby, that would be great. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stick to the dark chocolate, dark chocolate, peanut butter, dark chocolate with almonds, dark chocolate, dark chocolate with some dark chocolate. Yes. <laughs> um, so if people want to find you, I'm going to link up to your website. I'm going to link up to the hands-only CPR website that you mentioned. Are there other places that you like people to be in touch with you? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn um, uh, as Rescue RN. And anyone, I, I'm really good about my emails. So I'm kind of a psycho email answerer. If you have any questions about anything, you know, rescuern.com, you can find me there or, or message me on LinkedIn. Uh, and then and if it's not even, you know, work or anything related, you're just curious about this heart safe stuff, that's going to be a, I'm so into that conversation right now. It's way more fun than my day job. So uh, <laughs> it actually, it all, it's very much tied together. It's, it's very much tied together. You know, my work that I do in the hospital, I'm now doing in my community and in people's homes. So it doesn't get any better in that. So just reach out to rescuern.com and, and I would love to have a conversation with anyone who wants to know more. Awesome. Thank you so much. And I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, I know that people listening today have more information and knowledge is power. And so I know that a life was saved today, probably many lives. And um, I want everybody to join me tonight. I know right now I, I'm imagining what's in my recycling bin. And I know I have an empty almond milk jug and my kids and I are just going to practice for two minutes and um, they're not going to be bystanders. And that's thanks to you today. So thank you so much, Susan. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure. Thank you. Well, that's it, friends. If you like what you're hearing in this space, I invite you to join us in the Provider Lounge, a learning collaborative to build resilience. It's an incredible group of physicians who meet monthly, get CME, and lean into conversations about trauma, resilience, and other tough topics. This is the most important medicine. Keep listening to other people's stories and let them transform you and keep sharing your own because your humanity will heal others. 